0: Welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Monday morning in Manila and Sunday afternoon in the United States. Joining me from New York City, just before he heads over to Europe, is Tim Bontes. Hello, guys. Just computed that next Sunday after the World Cup. A very interesting. We're going to be spreader out. Um, anyway, joining us from Dallas, Texas. Whether well, they're thinking about nothing but basketball right now, I'm sure, in Texas and Labor Day weekend. It's McMan. McMahon.
1: Howdy, partners. And as uh, Coach Prime would say, my darn theme music.
0: <laughs> hey, I don't know if you noticed, but in the last podcast, it's a birthday present. There it was.
1: Oh, I noticed, baby. I noticed. Oh, he I tweeted it. about it, bro. He was all yeah, over. Was- I was dancing, shaking my shoulder, doing a little shimmy.
0: Yes, <laughs> he wasn't dancing tonight. Well, actually, I'll tell you who was dancing. The, uh, the Lithuanian fans Ooh, the Lithuanians hey. in, uh, in Manila, they stayed about 30 minutes after the game here tonight, after uh, upsetting team USA uh, mm-hmm. by six and cheered and cheered and cheered. And one thing that FIBA does that I like, um, I don't want to misinterpret the song, but there's a, some sort of Lithuanian national song they were playing after the game mm-hmm. to just let them soak it all in. And, uh, I approved those drums too. They didn't have the drums. They didn't have the drums. They didn't have the drums. Oh no. You know, the thing I like about you know uh, Lithuania, I, I'm sure I'm not gonna pronounce it correctly. I believe the way the Lithuanians pronounce it is Litvia. That's and you know, like their cheer is just Litvia boom, 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 Litvia, boom, boom, boom. I respect a simple cheer, you know, like I got a chance to go to an Arsenal football game last year in, uh, in London. Their cheer is Arsenal, Arsenal, Arsenal. I like it, okay? It's, I like the simplicity of it. Um, and those Lithuanian fans are really enjoying themselves. Oh, yeah. Lithuania, well, obviously we're going to talk about Team USA. Lithuania played an absolutely brilliant game that I witnessed here in Manila uh, Sunday night, Sunday morning in the U.S., an absolutely brilliant game, and they absolutely deserved a win, and it was absolutely a great moment for them. As I wrote in my story, it is not the greatest moment in their basketball history. That would be mm-hmm. in 1992, when they won the bronze medal, the year of the Dream Team, when they um, beat the, I think it was called the Unified Team, but basically it was Russia. They beat the team they just got independence uh, from. It was Russia and whatever states were left in the Russian Federation, whatever it was called. That's their biggest plan. But they did beat the uh, U.S. at the Olympics in 2000, 2004. and so this is pretty big uh, for them to do that. And they, they have been absolutely the best team so far at this World Cup. And well, they. Uh, are we oh say yeah, that for no, sure? no, 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 no. Absolutely, because what well, you're going to say, mean, Germany, Germany, right?
2: I mean, I mean, Germany team, is also five and zero, and and just.
1: Just beat Slovenia
2: by 30.
1: Now I was gonna say, listen, bomb temps ignited these it, who's the best player in the tournament, Jay or Luka?
2: Dennis Schroeder's raising his
1: hand, say, hey well, me. Don't forget we about that. De- we we know Dennis thinks it's Dennis, that's but, for but, sure. But back to Lithuania. Just want to give Lithuania
0: is number one in rebounding, and this performance certainly helped. Ooh. Number one in three-point shooting.
1: That helped again
0: by a lot. <laughs> And number one in point differential. And absolutely uh, brilliant performance uh, in this game. They made their first nine three-pointers and 14 of 25 overall. Uh, most of those first nine were open because the U.S. was doubling. But hey, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. And they're doing it without, a,
1: with the best player in the country not participating. That's Monty correct. This is not part of this. This is Jonas Valanciunas and... You know, a bunch of other guys, but their their all-star is
2: not there. I will gently point out that Germany beat Slovenia by thirty with Franz Wagner not playing. It beat Australia with I got Franz it. Wagner not playing. We'll, we'll, got it.
0: I don't think Slovenia is the United States, with all due respect to Luca.
2: Um controversy. I mean, that's so. I mean yes, I agree, but just giving the Germans a little bit of respect. They've had a heck of a tournament uh, I agree. so far, also.
0: The Germans played the United States a couple weeks ago and lost them. They may play them this week and beat them, but I, I your point is your point is fine. Lithuania played one of the most brilliant games I've seen played in person in FIBA in my career. I mean, uh, honestly, the,
1: the, the fact that they grabbed as many offensive rebounds as USA did defensive rebounds is insane. They yep. absolutely bullied. USA. Oh, there's some
0: insane and they stuff. Went 14 in to uh... 25
1: from three. I mean, but they absolutely hung Team USA. They, I mean, woo, stuck their
2: tongue out in, in their face, too. We've been talking for a month about what are these teams' biggest issues. And it's interior defense, A, and rebounding, B. And that killed them today. Obviously with I don't even
0: I don't even think the interior defense was as well fundamental. They obviously had I, some
2: it's part of it though because like they were just getting obliterated at the rim. Like that's how you give up all these offensive rebounds. It, it goes hand in hand. And well, obviously let's put it this
0: way. Lithuania started this game in the first quarter four of sixteen on two-point shots. Right. And they they, went nine for,
2: and they started the game nine for eleven from three.
0: Nine for nine, actually.
2: But it doesn't matter how <laughs> many you miss if you keep grabbing the rebound. <laughs> well, yes, that's, well, that's, my, that's thats my point. Yes.
0: They—they they were getting—they were getting stops, but they were getting rebounds. But anyway, uh, you mentioned um, sticking your um your your tongue out. So let me just say, I have a new favorite. Well, I have a—I have some favorite Lithuanians. So Drunas Ogauskas, which I'm sure was very happy to see this. Sarunas Yeschikavicius, one of the greatest Lithuanian players of all time. But I got a new one. I'm gonna buy. Bo- I'm gonna, gonna botch say, this name.
1: Better you than me on the name. Go for it. <sighs>
0: Vetus carnivus, car carniniscus, (laughs) carnecosus, flatus
1: I mean, hey, this is like this is like the uh, the Lithuanian two point shooting. He he just keeps grabbing the rebound.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He played with Austin Reeves' brother Spencer in, uh, I believe, a team in Germany last year. And he talked to Spencer before the game, and Spencer said, you should give – well, hold on. I want to get the exact quote because the quote is better when I say it word for word. He said, um, I played with Austin's brother, so I talked to him before the game, and he said, give him a trash talk. So I give him some.
1: Oh, he gave him some.
0: So Karnasauskas – God, I, am, I, I apologize. I just – I just don't know how to pronounce it. I, I'm I gonna know Valanciunas.
1: I'm going to... Let me get... Karinauskas. Karinauskas. I don't know. Vitus. Let's do that. Let's just go to... Well, let's call V because we might be screwing that up. VK. <laughs> oh, VK.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I, I know Djokovic, Valanciunas. I'm sorry. Modi Yunus. Anyway, he... They were just attacking the U.S. in the post. And in this particular moment in the game, he... Posted up Austin Reeves. Now he's got the the Lithuanians had, you know, five to six inches in certain matchups in this game. Yeah. They start 6'9, 6'11, 6'10 across the front. And then they bring Donatus Modi who's seven foot off the bench, and uh uh Mandingis Kuzminskis off the bench, who used to play for the Knicks. Uh he's six nine. So, so yeah, Modi yeah. former Rocket, former pelican slash hornet i believe so anyway um they but um this this matchup wasn't that much uh vk is uh is 6-6 and uh, austin reeves about 6-5 but he just bullied him just bullied him backed him down made a perfect move on him got a three-point play and stuck his tongue out, out at him mm-hmm. and the filipino crowd gasped yeah. you know, because but they love Austin Reeves. Austin they Reeves, they were like,
1: Austin Reeves home state. They'd say he got taken behind the woodshed. And it was, that was kind of a theme <laughs> he here, fellas. That was a theme that was yeah. not the only time he got bullied on the block, but he nope. did tie. He tied two world cup records today though. He tied a record for fewest rebounds in a game with zero and most fouls in a game with five. So he tied two world cup records today.
2: Big day for yeah. Austin.
0: Austin Reeves, Austin Reeves fouled out in 12 minutes, actually 13. And, Jaron Jackson, who we'll be talking about a little in a little bit, fouled out in 15. So obviously yeah. the U.S. was fouling like crazy. Yeah, this this but, was
2: the recipe for how you I mean, obviously to beat the U.S., what do you have to do? You have to rebound the ball. You have to hit threes. And right. And so, they, that's that was what Lithuania did today.
0: We'll talk more about the individual part of the game. By the way, uh, our guy, our guy VK, he also said that, you know, in his life, he has watched the 2004 Lithuania's win in the 2004 Olympics in Athens, 20 to 25 times. And he's like, now we have that. And so like, you know, this is going to be a lasting moment. And it should be. They were, yeah. they were terrific, guys. They had nine, nine different players make a three pointer. They had six different guys get at least three rebounds, which you might say, well, three is not that many. You know how many the U.S. had? I think two? Three.
2: Two. They
0: had three? I thought they had two.
2: Mikhail Bridges had three. Jalen Brunson had four and Bobby Portis had five.
0: Okay. Right. But Jaron
1: Jackson jr. Is a starting center. He must've had at least we'll
0: we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Oh, okay. We're not going to talk about that in a minute. Talk about Jaron Jackson in a minute. Can still talk about it in a minute. Anyway, they had, they had six guys who made over three rebounds. They had nine guys who made a three. They had five guys in double figures. They had like six guys who had at least two assists. I mean, they got production from up and down the lineup. It was a terrific performance. Nothing in this game that happened was a surprise other than the super hot three-point shooting. When they came into the game, they were the number one three-point shooting team in the tournament at 44%, and they weren't shooting five of them a game. They were making 11 of them a game. So they were coming in, rebounding the heck out of it, number one in rebounding, shooting the heck out of it, which is what they ended up doing. We know that USA is is small. They they have been small literally for years. It is, it is a product, number one, of the lack of uh, American big men. We've done this before on this pod. We've gone down the, 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 the starting centers in the NBA. I don't want to do it again. You can do it if you listen to this pod. You know who the starting centers are. Most of them are not American. Some of them who can play center? Who are American? Are not eligible Who are who could be eligible? Are, you know, like Carl Towns is. I mean, he's not a pure center, but he could he could be on this team. By the way, the Dominican Republic got eliminated uh, earlier mm-hmm. today, so he's out. Have uh, decided to play elsewhere. In 2019, the last time there was a World Cup, the U.S. was concerned about its size, so it took two quote unquote big centers. It took Brooke Lopez and Mason Plumley, and those guys got destroyed, and the U.S. got destroyed, and they finished seven in. 2021 for the Tokyo Olympics, they switched tactics and went to smaller, more mobile centers. Bam Adebayo and Draymond Green. JaVale McGee was on the team, but he didn't really play that much. I don't have this off the top of my head, but I speculate that Kevin Durant played more at center and that's that and that than JaVale did. But maybe he, I don't know, whatever. The point is they JaVale, went with a different. Javel
1: played even less than he did for the Mavericks last year in the first year of the three-year. <laughs> yeah.
0: You look before what, he was summarily what happened that three-year last deal? week. What happened to that three-year deal? Whoops. Yeah, it's now, a, it's now a five-year deal because it got stretched.
1: Three-year deal with the um, Start lasted seven games. Go on.
0: <laughs> anyway, the U.S. played with a different style in the Olympics. It worked. And so when they looked at their lay of the land this year, they said, you know what? We're not going to try to patchwork bigs in there. We're going we're gonna to play small. And, hmm. yeah, they have Walker Kessler on the roster. He's played the least. And they have Bobby Portis, who's really a power forward, who plays center. He played the second least on And
1: Kessler's minutes did not go well today, minus 10 and not very many minutes.
2: Well, and, they've been, and as we've talked about a bunch, they've been playing Paolo Bencaro at center, who is definitely not a center the whole tournament, including today. Yeah.
0: So yeah. it was funny. I asked um, Steve Kerr after the game about his decision to stay with this. I'm getting a little, little bit ahead of myself. This decision to stay with the smaller small lineups. And he goes, Well, we played two bigs. We played Paolo and Bobby together and Paolo and Walker. And I admit, I just don't see Paolo as a big. No. I mean, I know he's six foot 10, but he's not in my mind. I know he's been playing backup center. Steve is right. I'm not. But when I asked the question, that's because he's, I not, see, I don't he's see,
2: not. That's because he's not.
0: Right. So, like, I was, Steve kind of, you know, getting, you know, not adver- adversarially, but he kind of gave it back to me. Like, no, yes, we did play two bigs. And I was like, Okay, I don't yeah. consider Paolo a big. But. They leaned into this style, this, they know they're going to lose the rebounding battle in, in some games. They knew they were going to probably lose to Montenegro. They knew they were going to lose it tonight. Steve Kerr just believes, and I'm not making this up. He has said as much that there are certain trade-offs that you're, that you're willing to do. And they are going to switch pick and rolls. They're going to switch pick and rolls. Even if occasionally that leaves them in a vulnerable position, defending in the post, they're going to switch, switch pick and rolls. And they're going to sometimes get, get beat up on the boards. And then they're going to trade that off with playing fast and quick and having guys who rebound the ball and they can run, which is what they like that Paolo can do, which is what they liked Draymond can do and what they liked Bam could do. They (laughs) liked that. And so, and it works. And most of the time it works. Most of the time they win, but in this game, they didn't. And so we knew that going into this game. Okay. And we know that after this game. And. Lithuania is probably the worst matchup for the U.S. in this tournament. Probably the second matchup at this point in terms of man to man is Germany because of their size. They have great size. Canada is probably the toughest matchup in terms of talent on talent. And Canada was razor thin from not making it uh, to the quarterfinals tonight. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So, of all the losses that the U.S. has had in recent international events, and they've lost in three straight tournaments now, this is not like a red alarm loss it is an illustration of what they have to improve and what they have to improve number one more than anything is they've got to get better play from jaron jackson period there is no acceptable situation in which his production can be where it's been the last two games and his production has been one rebound in two games one and in this game in which he went came in And yes, he is not a center by trade. And, but when he took on this assignment, he understood he was going to play center and he's had some good games for them. But when he comes into this game, he knows that this game, yes, if they play Germany later, yes, if they play Canada later will be hard, but he knew that this was the most important game. He knew Lithuania was the biggest challenge and guys, 24 seconds into this game, he gets a foul. He knows he's going to be in foul trouble almost every game. Mm 24 seconds in, he gets a foul in a mindless reach in on Jonas Valanciunas, like 18 feet from the maybe it was 20 feet from the basket. I couldn't believe it. And then two minutes later, he gets his second foul on a rip through move. And he was frustrated at the call. And look, that's going to happen. It was not great, but I don't really blame him on that. But because of the really poor decision on the first foul, he is now on the bench. And in this game tonight, the US was even with him only having one rebound. Mm -hmm. The U.S. was plus 16 with him on the floor and minus 22 with him off of it. That is not acceptable for him to get one rebound. Steve Kerr, talked about after the game, he says he knows it and Jaron knows it. And I like Jaron. He is a smart guy. He is a key player. He is a decorated player. He is a quality player. But that was absolutely not acceptable. And there is no real consequences in this loss. They were already in the quarterfinals. Because of other teams that lost tonight uh, across the Pacific Rim, three teams from the Americas lost tonight, Brazil, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic. The U.S. ended up actually having a quote-unquote positive night because they qualified for the Olympics out of this. But not acceptable for Jaron Jackson to have one rebound in two games. Not acceptable for him to not be able to play because he's in foul trouble. So, but also but like, not,
1: not necessarily shocking. Like one in two games is, is an extreme stat, but the the two – Big flaws that Jaron Jackson Jr. has is a tendency to get in foul trouble. And he is a poor rebounder for an extraordinarily athletic six foot 11, 240 plus pound dude. He averaged 6.8 rebounds this year for the Grizzlies. That is by far his career high. Like he's just not a good rebounder. I don't, I, I honestly, I don't understand why, because he has all the physical attributes to be a good rebounder, but he's just
2: not a good rebounder. Well, I think it's partly because he's chasing blocks a lot. And he also, I think, is just, he's a lot like Miles Turner, right? Another guy that's a very good shot blocker who is not a good rebounder. And He
0: was on the 2019 team as well. I forgot about him. Apologies.
2: Yeah. and And, yeah, I mean, look, this, you were right, Brian, in that this is a loss that isn't shocking because of the deficiencies that this current group of players has. But we have been talking about this the whole time. I understand Steve wants to have Paolo Bancaro out there playing as a small ball center to push the pace and to score. And we've talked a lot about how good that second unit has been. They've also basically run that out there against teams that he just overwhelms people with his athleticism against. And the times they've played elite competition, it has gone very poorly. And it went very poorly today. I don't know what his plus minus ended up at, but... In the meat of the game, before the final interminable minute and a half took an hour, he was minus eighteen in like fourteen minutes, and he Who are you talking About I'm sorry, Bencaro. Ben Carroll, and
0: minus 14, and seven eight.
2: Yeah, and it and it was lower. It that lowered down over the last couple minutes of the game because he was out there after Jaron fouled out. But this is the way they've leaned into playing. It's the way they have to play. But if they are going to play that way, they have to play a lot more physically. They have to get into guys a lot more. They have to gang box out and they have to gang rebound, which they obviously didn't do today. And if they're playing a team like Lithuania or Germany, they're just going to get swallowed up on the boards. And it's very hard to overcome, as Ben pointed out, giving up as many offensive rebounds as you get defensive rebounds. You basically cannot win an NBA game or any high level basketball game if that stat is a true stat like it was today.
1: And when you get your butt kicked on on the boards like they did, obviously the focus is going to start with the big guys. But who's the best athlete on the floor? Who who is the best, the most impressive physical specimen in the World Cup by a mile?
2: You mean you mean Anthony Edwards who had one
1: rebound yeah. in twenty nine minutes for two hundred
2: twenty five pound
1: physical freak Anthony Edwards who was spectacular offensively. His thirty five points gave them. A shot to pull off a comeback. But dude, you're built like a freaking linebacker. You're the best leaper on the floor. Like you have to get more than a rebound, too. And how, how many minutes did he play?
2: I mean, look, he played 29 minutes. He had one rebound. Josh Hart is out there to be a energy guy. Yeah, Josh beyond the ball. Josh boards.
0: Hart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. J- Josh Hart is playing because he rebounds. Right. Even though he's he undersized. Had, he's he had, had two- he's had four. He's had four in the last two games total.
2: He had two rebounds in 13 minutes. And last game, as we talked about uh, the other day, playing Montenegro, big physical team, that obviously, you know, that game was a struggle for them on the boards also. Brandon Ingram, two rebounds in 17 minutes. Paolo Bancaro, two rebounds in 17 minutes. Like, if you're playing center on this team and you're getting two rebounds in 17 minutes, like that – uh, it, you, they just have to be a lot more physical against these high-level teams. And again, you're probably not going to have the other team shoot 56% from three. You're probably, you're probably going to be okay most of the time. But this is a, this is a, a strategy, the way they're playing, that's a pretty high-variant strategy. You're giving, up a lot of, you're giving up a lot of rebounds. You're going to give up threes. And you can do that when you have Bam and Draymond Green, who might be the two most versatile defensive big men in the world playing on your team. If you're doing it with a converted power forward as your backup center and with Jaron Jackson, who gets five fouls in NBA games in about 25 minutes on a normal day and you know got five, got five fouls in 15 minutes in this game, like this, this is what they're susceptible to have happen to him and it's going to be an interesting week ahead.
0: Well, I would say also Anthony Edwards, real quick, he had 35 points. Points in this game, which sets the US World Cup record. Uh, it was three short of the overall Team USA record, which Kevin Durant holds. He's cold almost every scoring record. So he had 35 points on how many shots? It's 26 shots. He 14, 14, 14 26. for 26. I'm going to tell you right now, he could have easily had 45 in this game. Like there was like a, a number of different things that happened why the US lost it. And it actually reminds me in some ways of what happened against Greece in 2006. And I do feel like if I'm lucky enough to still be having this job in 18 years, like I, or whatever, however long been since 2006, um, what? 17 years, 17 years. I was giving interviews to Greek media this week about the 2006 game. And like, I was watching a documentary that FIBA produced and with guys who played in that game for Greece, who have full heads of gray hair and wrinkles. It was kind of a scary moment for me about my mortality, but Um, I feel like I could be talking about this game, Lithuanian or other media outlets in 18 years. if I'm so lucky to be still around um, because it was such a special thing that happened in this game. There were so many things that happened not to take anything away from Lithuania, but in that game that Greece beat the U S in, which a score was almost comparable. You know, the U S giving up 110 points in a 40 minute game is unacceptable. They gave up over 110 points back in 2006 to Greece. And in that game against Greece, as well as Greece played, and as flawed as the as the U.S. was in that particular game, um, and then you know the the U.S. didn't lose for 13 years in international play, but in that game, Greece threw in some shots that were re- ridiculous shots that had no business going in because that's what happens when you get upset. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, for a team to beat you like this, you have to have something like that to happen, and that happened in this game. You know, uh, Imantas Ben Zidas. Sorry, me, Montas, if I <laughs> pronounced it. Late in the, you know, with less than two minutes to go, the team USA played 23.99 seconds of great defense. And uh, Lithuania was inbounding the ball with three seconds left, and it went to um, my man in the corner, and Anthony Edwards slapped the ball away from and him. And with, with like, a, a second on the clock, he picked it up and literally, literally threw it at the basket, and it went in. Now, look, I don't know this guy. Maybe he throws it at the basket all the time and it goes in. That was a 1-in-10 shot, and it broke the U.S.'s back. That's not why they lost the game. There was also some weird uh, officiating decisions, but that's not why they lost the game. But that's what happens to, like, get you over the hump. But Anthony Edwards tonight had left at least 10 points out there, despite going 14 of 26. He had a breakaway that he got on a on a loose ball that they r- ruled a shot clock violation. He. Um, That was a huge call.
2: That was a huge call in the game because they were flying back with a bunch of momentum, and that totally sidetracked them for a bit.
0: uh, Yeah, I want to completely underline that. Not saying that's why.
2: Obviously, that's not why they uh, lost the game either. It just was a
0: significant play. And most of these listeners probably didn't see this game, but Ant was pressuring the heck out of the ball near midcourt. The guy fumbled the ball away with one second on the clock. Ant scooped the ball up as the shot clock went off, went down and put 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 a layup in. They ruled it off because it was a – they said that he didn't have possession. It was really close. In the NBA, they would have let it go probably.
2: Oh, definitely. Uh, that, would have been a, that would have been a layup in the NBA okay. for sure.
0: All right. So they take the two points off the board. Then the U.S. gets the ball at half court because of where the shot clock violation happened. And this makes no – I learn about FIBA every day. For some reason, when, you, when that happens, even though it's a new possession, you only get 14 seconds on the shot clock. What. The U S had no idea that is. And they, I know, I know, man, Steve Kerr admitted after the game, he screwed up. He didn't, he didn't know. to take off. Notice, they take tell. off
2: the 10 seconds. You get to move the ball up to half court. Why? Good, good question, but that's why.
0: Okay. So they run a play over 14 seconds. Anthony Edwards gets the ball wide open on the wing. He's about to put up a three. Now maybe he makes it. Maybe he doesn't. Shot clock violation goes off. I know. I was surprised. I was like, that wasn't 24 seconds. Cause it wasn't. So that's potentially a f- 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 three point swing right there, at least a two point swing that would have been his. Yeah. There was another time where he had a, a layup and they called to the travel and they have called some travel on the US team. I mean, I guess their travels, but like I didn't even fault him for that. He got a free layup, they called to the travel. It's happened like three times. I, I don't know. It's different official. So he must be traveling, but a lot know. of ref.
2: It's a lot of yeah. ref talk for the refs not being the problem.
0: I, I, I'm not saying any of the calls were pulled I'm, I'm wrong. Just, I'm, just I'm
2: just kidding. I'm just kidding.
0: The refs weren't the problem. The, we there was another time where he got fouled, <laughs> where he got fouled. There's no, there another time where he got fouled, and he had a total uncontested bunny layup because the foul was like, you know, they bumped him, and he missed that layup. I mean, he makes it 90% of the time in that spot. Then he missed both free throws. He could have a three-point play. He had no points. There was other, wide, you know, those are just the ones that were just all weird. There were other open shots he had that he missed, you know. Um, so he could add 45. And, um, you know, Jaron Jackson gets six rebounds in this game, just gets his average in the NBA. The U.S. wins. A couple of those go for Anthony Edwards. The U.S., I think, wins. So there was a lot that happened where the U.S. could have won, but they didn't win. So, like, I don't think that they need to to sit here and say, oh, my gosh, what a failure that this team is. What a terrible construction. Whatever, this is a disaster because that's what happened against Greece. It was a full-on disaster. That is absolutely not the case in my view here. This team is absolutely still able to win it. It could, I think they could even beat Lithuania if they played them which they could, they can't well, play them Well, out. yeah,
2: I mean, of course, of course they could beat Lithuania. I mean, this is the, the, the way for people who didn't watch this or who don't like pay a ton of attention to it. The best way to think about this is the U.S. is a one seed in the NCAA tournament. And they're they are going to be pretty heavy favorites to win every game. But especially now at this point, you know, they got very lucky. It's funny, the way the draw broke, because they lost and ended up on the other side of the draw, The three teams in their pod to go to the finals are Italy, Germany, and Latvia. And they'll probably play Germany in the semifinals, but they avoid playing Canada till the finals. They avoid playing Slovenia till the finals. They avoid playing Lithuania again till the finals. They avoid playing Serbia again till the finals. And for as good as Germany's been, you'd probably take at least two or three of those teams over Germany if you were picking who you thought was going to win going through. So they actually caught a bit of a break in losing, but yeah, certainly they're, they're yeah, more than good said enough to that, win three games. They just have ha- having to, said they that. have to do the things that they've been doing against the high level teams
0: to win. Having said that, by the way, if Mikli Jokic was in this tournament, Serbia would be the favorite at this point. That's number one. Number two, if the, now the most important thing I look at is how these teams are rebounding and Italy is a better rebounding team than Serbia. So you are correct that, they really didn't get quote unquote penalized for this loss they were already in the quarterfinals they qualified for the olympics they still get 2 days off between this the because the other teams have to travel in the teams have to travel in from japan okinawa and jakarta indonesia they have to fly in uh, on mm-hmm. monday so the teams that have been here in manila play on tuesday which means that the other teams don't play till wednesday so the us is going to play in the in the quarterfinals and if they win they're going to get 2 days off Whereas the team that they will play if they win, if it was a team that they will play on is Friday. Germany with a team that they'll play on Friday. Potentially we'll only have uh, Latvia has been here. I think Latvia has been in uh, anyway, they have They have an advantage. So, but, but Italy is a better rebounding team than Serbia in this tournament, and rebounding is everything. So, but you're right. They, they, they just need to um, get some better play. And I would say that after the game being, you know, with the team, you don't get to go in the locker room at, Via, you get, you get to talk to some of the players, and you know, t- talking with Steve Kerr, I would say they're obviously disappointed, but they're not—they're not discouraged. But the last two games have been first um, a yellow flag and then uh, and then a red flag because they didn't play that great against Montenegro. They ended up winning, but they didn't play that great. Um, so, but by the way, Montenegro played very well, and Lithuania played very well, and they should expect Italy to play well. That's what happens at this uh, stage.
1: More Hoop Collective Podcast after this.
0: Okay. I did not get to see the Canada game because I was working the United States game. It was being played in Indonesia. Canadians were behind the Spanish and came back late and won the game. It was an enormous win for Canada and an emotional win for George. Rudy Fernandez, their head coach, because he is Spanish. He's from the Barcelona area. So he knocked out his uh, home country, the defending World Cup champions. They didn't have their best team, but still, they're the defending World Cup champs. So and that means
1: Eurobasket champs.
0: And defending Eurobasket champs from a year ago. So that means Spain is going home. Australia, the bronze medalists from Tokyo, are going home. France, the silver medalists from Tokyo, are going home. Canada made it by the skin of their teeth and qualified for the Olympics, which they haven't played in since 2000. It was a huge moment for Canada and a comeback win. And you guys watched it. And so you can tell me what happened. I
1: mean, Dylan Brooks, clutch shot making, just like you'd expect, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dylan, sure he's
0: very disappointed that you weren't there to talk to him about it. after. Dylan, a game.
1: Dylan not a villain, came through for Canada. Obviously, SGA, uh, he single-handedly outscored Spain in the fourth quarter. Uh, but Dylan Brooks made some huge shots down the stretch. He also had one uh, moment where he grabs a rebound. He's trying to like weave through traffic and go behind the back and committed a terrible turnover. But he more than made up for it, and it was it was a skin of the teeth type of win. I mean, they were down double figures um, in this. Was it was it into the fourth quarter? Bond tips. They were definitely down double figures in the second. Oh yeah,
2: they wanted a twenty three to seven run to retake the lead in the game.
1: Yeah. Billy Hernan Gomez, who uh, you know, played several years in the NBA, was with the Pelicans last year. Is going back to Spain, playing for FC Barcelona. You know, a guy who never established himself as like a consistent rotation player in the NBA. He had some bright spots, but dude, he's one hell of a feeble player. He was Eurobasket MVP last year. Like, Canada couldn't, couldn't handle him. Um, but... SGA and, and Dylan Brooks basically <clears throat> took this thing down a stretch.
2: Shea Gillis-Alexander checked into the game with 4 thir- thirty-four to go in Canada, down six. He either scored or assisted every point they had the rest of the game. He took over the game. Mm-hmm. Dylan Brooks hit a gigantic shot off a pass from Shea to tie it up with about two minutes to go. Big time, big time shot. We have clowned on Dylan Brooks a whole bunch. This was probably might've been the biggest game of his life for them to win this game, to go to the Olympics. These young guys on this Canadian team have been part of this whole thing coming up. And he had, I think he went three for three from three and had an absolutely massive game. RJ Barrett had fouled out. It was basically those two guys with the ball in their hands down the stretch. And I mean, he ended up with, uh, yeah, he had 24 points on eight for 12 shooting, went three for three from three. Which, as we know, not exactly a normal Dylan game, but he was great. And Shea was transcended down the stretch. And this game was not going well for them basically the whole time. Rudy Fernandez was up to all sorts of shenanigans. And the Spanish team, even though they don't have all their number one guys, yeah. Sergio Scariolo has been the coach for this whole run, been there forever. They have all this experience. They've been in these spots a thousand times. They were up ten at halftime. They were up, they Absorbed a run in the third quarter. We're back up 10 at the start of the fourth.
0: I mean, it looks like Santi Aldama played great. Yeah, Santi Aldama was was great.
2: He was fantastic. Canada got back in the game. They were down 10 at halftime. They immediately get right back in the game. It was a lot like the American game. Uh, Had a huge run the start of third quarter. Then Santi Aldama hits back-to-back threes and then dunked over Kelly Olenek in three straight possessions and pushed the lead right back up to 10 again. And at the end of the third quarter, you're like, man, that was it. Like the Spanish, have got it back under control. They're probably going to lock this thing up and full credit to, to Shay and Dylan Brooks for pulling this thing out at the end. And, you know, for a Canadian team that has lost in Venezuela several years ago when it had a chance to qualify for the world cup and or lost to Venezuela, I should say Mexico city and has had a lot of disappointments and not getting over the hump, this group to get over the hump. Like this was the big thing for them. Obviously they want to win the medal, the gold medal in this tournament. They think they can win the tournament, but, this is all but building towards them getting to Paris and finally qualifying for the Olympics. And that was a pretty huge moment for them to pull that off the way they did.
1: It was still this close to going in overtime. Alex Abrinas, Uh Did
2: you did you see the shot at the end, Brian? No, I, I haven't I, seen anything
0: uh, yet.
1: Yeah. Alex Abrines, briefly a member of the Thunder, but uh, you a know, long-time high-quality pro over there in Spain. I think it was Lou Dort that got a bit of a contest on it, but he got a pretty good look from about 35 feet at the buzzer. And that thing was online and it looked like it was going to go. And it caught just enough of the front rim not to go down. But I mean, it it was was
2: maybe two inches, maybe two inches short. And that was after Canada had been up by four or six with Mm -hmm. under 30 seconds to go. It looked like they had it one and then. They, you know, they hit Spain, hit a couple threes, kept it close. And then it was that, that close at the end. But ultimately the Canadians survive. And now Spain has to qualify for the world cup next summer or for the Olympics. I mean,
0: yeah, Spain has to qualify. There's still, they'll still be in decent position to do so, but it's unclear who's going to be able to play for them.
2: Well, there could be a lot of teams having to qualify. I mean, if this, I mean, if this breaks in a certain way, either Serbia or Lithuania is definitely going to have to qualify. Slovenia, if they lose to Canada, is going to have to qualify. There's some There's some really high. Germany could have to qualify if they lose to Latvia. There's some really high level teams that are still left that are, you know, on a knife's edge to, to get in. And you mentioned the yeah. Dominicans. I know Canada ended up winning the game. If Canada had lost this game, it would have probably been a pretty long few weeks for the Dominican team when they were, in a dogfight with Puerto Rico on Friday. And if they had won that game, they'd be in the quarters and they would have had a shot to get into the Olympics, which obviously would have been a pretty yeah. nasty
0: Yeah, had game. Canada lost this game, Brazil would have gone from the other spot from the Americas. There was a possibility coming into Sunday that five teams from the Americas could have made the final eight, which would have made it basically a double runoff to win the title and then get one of the spots for the World Cup, two teams from the Americas make it. As it happened, Puerto Rico, the Dominican, and Brazil all lost on Sunday. So Canada it's and the US, six
2: Europeans made six, six European teams made it.
0: Six of the eight uh, teams are European teams, plus U.S. and Canada. So that's what it comes down to. So yeah, so it is still alive. Uh, I, I said, I think last week on the pod that if they both teams kept winning, that Canada and the U.S. would have met in the final. That was not true. I had mistaken. I misspoke. It would have been the semifinal, but Hey, guess what? They both lost. And so now the bracket is set up that that final is still there. It seems kind of, I'm not giving the U.S. anything at this point, but um, not the U.S. Make the US lost. No prediction. No, I mean, They would have
2: the both, they would have been, they would have been facing the final if they'd both won, but U.S. finished second and Canada won their group. So that's how they're, that's how it ended up this way.
0: Yeah. So they, one week from today, we could be talking about the U.S.-Canada final but there's a lot that can happen in Canada. Lally lost once and almost lost tonight. And the U.S. Uh, mm. looks shaky in two games in a row. So still some big teams left in there.
1: More Hoop Collective podcast after this.
0: But um, one team that has secured their spot in Paris is something I did this weekend. That was something that I'll remember for a long time. And on Saturday... Team USA was off. All the teams basically in the winner's bracket were off. Uh, all the games were on Sunday that set everything up. So Saturday was not a day for the loser's bracket at the World Cup. And it's really, it's way more than the loser's bracket because when the teams go out of competition, they're then fighting to qualify for, the, uh, depending on, you know, their, what region of the world they're from, they could still be fighting for qualifying for the Olympics because, Yes, winning the World Cup is what everybody's here for, but qualifying at the Olympics, the, the the seven bids that are given out here are super important. And so I went and saw the South Sudan play against Angola. And the South Sudan has been a country since 2011, but they went into civil war. They've pretty much been in civil war for most of the years between 19, the mid-1950s and now, mm. at a few periods where they haven't been. There were two major civil uh, Sudan, Sudanese civil wars, and... Then there was a Sudan. There was a a South. You know, South Sudan became a country in 2011, and there was a South Sudanese civil war between about 2013 and 2020. I'm not going to get into all the politics of it, but it's still not stable. And but South Sudan has been a country for uh, 12 years, but they've not been a a functioning. You could worry about representing your country in sport, except basically since 2020. And this team has basically been put together by Luwal Deng, who is South Sudanese by birth. And the one thing about this team, some of the names you're going to, who are on this team, you were going to recognize almost the entire team is players who are refugees from the Sudan or who are the children of people who were, who had to leave the Sudan during war. You go down and look at the bios and learn about every player on this roster, it is one long tragedy when it comes to their relationship with Sudan. I'm talking, you know, I'm talking about, you know, like I don't have all the notes in front of me. I should pull it up, but guys, you know, player, you know, wenyan Gabriel, for example, who you may know because he played for the Lakers, he played for the Blazers, he's played for some other teams. Wenyan went Gabriel to Kentucky. Was on the team went to Kentucky. Wenyan Gabriel was two weeks old when his family fled Sudan and he lived in um he lived i believe uh somewhere else in in Europe i think it might have been egypt uh and then he moved to new hampshire to a sanctuary city Manchester, new hampshire when he was young um a number a number of these players and Luol dang one of the players yeah Luol ended up in in london um but then ended up in new jersey um uh dang well i, I don't want to get ahead of myself here some of the players ended up Ended up in Iowa. Some of them ended up in Minnesota. Um, uh, some of the players ended up in Australia. There's a player on the team from from Perth whose family had seven children, and they were Sudanese refugees.
1: And Adelaide 36er, Sunday Deck.
0: That's right, Sunday Deck. Mm-hmm. Great name. Yeah, nice guy. Um, Kaman Maluk, who was 16 years old, he was a refugee in Uganda. During the South Sudanese war, he's 16 years old. And he was living in Uganda. He is a potential draft pick in the 2025 NBA draft. He's seven foot two as a 16 year old was playing and contributing in the World Cup.
2: He's a potential number um, one overall pick. Apparently,
0: I don't know if I would say that at this point. And he ain't going to non- be picked ahead educated-
2: of. He ain't going to be picked ahead of Cooper Flag. So he he might yeah. be a right. potential he's, number two he's pick. He's a potential yeah. high lottery pick
0: for sure. Yeah, for sure. Jonathan, yeah, if you're chance.
2: interested in him, Jonathan. Uh, wrote about him. He and Kevin did a, a story on players to watch in the tournament. Jonathan wrote about him a bunch, and I would encourage everybody to go read Brian's story on South Sudan winning because he had all these various stories of people yeah. in there, which is it was pretty remarkable to read all of them.
0: So Luol Deng, three years ago, became the president of their federation. By the way, they only really became safe to operate. I mean, I don't I don't know everything that happened on the ground there, but it was. <laughs> They may have had a team, but they were in civil war. So they, I don't think they were fielding teams. So Luol Dang, after the, there's a ceasefire in the civil war, Luol Deng takes over the presidency of the federation. He played for Great Britain because Sudan, Sudan didn't have a basketball team, but he played for Great Britain when he was an international player while playing in the NBA, and he took part in the 2012 Olympics for Great Britain. But now he's trying to help his home nation. And he basically funded this thing with his own money for years and um they had to qualify uh i mean oh so okay so when Lou dang came to the united states he came to blair academy in new jersey and he was a freshman there was a senior there named Royal ivy you may know Royal ivy played the nba for 10 years for a bunch of teams journeyman guard and has been an assistant coach for a handful of teams he's now with the houston rockets was known as one of kevin durant's best friends from when they played on the thunder and the idea was you know that Teams kept hiring him because they thought they were going to get Durant. All right. But Royal Ivy is a high class, high character individual. And when Roy, when Lou Aldang came to the United States as a teenager, he didn't even have basketball shoes. His first basketball shoes were given him by Royal Ivy. So Lou Dan got this job three years ago. He called Royal Ivy, even though he is not of Sudanese descent, mm-hmm. uh, and said, Will you coach this team? And Royal Ivy was Telling the story about like his first practice, they had they had some event in Nairobi, Kenya, and like the only court they could practice on was like a concrete court. Sunday Desh, his brother Solomon Desh, who's an agent uh, based in Australia, was telling me that there are almost no indoor courts in all of South Sudan. All the courts are outdoor courts. There there may be one indoor court, and they only have a, f- a few handful of outdoor courts. He was talking about how last summer when they were preparing. To try to qualify for the World Cup, they were practicing outdoors, uh, like in Tunisia or something. And the, the court, part of the court was flooded. They couldn't even use part of the court. And he was like looking up, and there were like eagles circling their practice. Mm. That was a year ago. That was not in 1994. That was not in 2018. That was a year ago. They made the African championships for the first time ever in 2021. afro basket it's called like Eurobasket in Europe. They finished 7th. But that was a miracle they finished 7th. They get in basically all dang funding them. They get they qualify playing across Europe. And you know they have some players. Uh, I talked to about them before this event. Their best player is probably uh Carlique Jones who is from Cincinnati the the, the child of Sudanese. He's a Sudanese descent his his parents at least one of his parents I think both or Sudanese refugees. He's from Cincinnati. G League player of the year is on the Bulls roster. He was awesome. He was one of the best players in the tournament. He was great. Wenyan Gabriel was great. Uh, Marielle Shylock, who's a, a sort of a 3-4 who had a who played for a little while for the Philadelphia 76ers, who's another uh, he was a he grew up in Canada, the son of the son of refugees. He played and they won. And this game was played at four o'clock on a on a Saturday afternoon. There was maybe. 500 people in the building it was played at the araneta coliseum here in uh in the philippines in manila which is where the thriller in manila was mm-hmm. so they're playing in this they've renovated it but it's this sort of historic old venue there's not that many people there there was about maybe 30 south sudanese fl- uh, fans and there was about 20 of them waving south sudanese flags and to see them you know they won a game in the consolation bracket basically They call it the classification bracket on a Saturday afternoon and weeping, weeping, Luol Deng crying, Royal Ivy crying. These players talking about how this is the accomplishment of their lifetime. And South Sudan is going to go to the Olympics. There's 12 teams go to the Olympics. They won the African bid by beating Angola. And there's never been anybody ever represent the South Sudan ever in the Olympics. There's been some some of their athletes who've been on the refugee team. I think there was a, a refugee team once or twice, but they've never had anybody say, we are from South Sudan. They qualified for that. And so that's the thing about the World Cup. Yes, it's not the Olympics. Yes, it's played during football season. Yes, the best players aren't playing in it necessarily at the top. This is the kind of stuff that happens at these type of events. And to go and listen to Luol Deng talk about how it's an underdog story. And it's, and here's the other thing guys, Manu Bull was South Sudanese.
1: Mm-hmm. He
0: is from, you may have heard about this, he is from the Dinka tribe. The Dinka, the descendants and the members of the Dinka tribe are the tallest people in the world. You go to the South Sudan, I've never been to the South Sudan, but you go to the South Sudan and there are six foot eight people walking around, like five foot 10 people in the United States. Africa has been a continent of potential for. Met for a long time. I'm not saying I don't know what's going to happen to South Sudan. I'm going to say this though. There's a 16-year-old South Sudanese kid who's seven foot two and looks like he can play. Yeah. And I'm going to say something else. The MVP of the NBA is African. The two-time MVP of the NBA, Jan Senekupo, has a Greek name. He's African. Mm-hmm. Victor Wembanyama, the number one pick, one of the highest, most exciting prospects in the in the NBA history, is half African. His father is Congolese. He's of Congolese descent his uh, great-grandfather was over seven foot living in congo if you don't think that there's the talent uh, swell coming from africa i got news for you it's coming from africa and to see and all these guys they're all smart they're you know they they all pick themselves up and their families pick themselves up like most of them have college degrees they speak multiple languages they're very eloquent like they are they are um There's something for the country to be proud of. So anyway, I'm sorry I've gone on a little while on this. Um, It was a really great thing to be a part of. I was so happy I was able to amplify their story. There was a few media members there, not many. There was a few amplifying their story. So it it was a pretty awesome thing. And no matter what happens with Team USA, although I've had an absolute blast covering Team USA, the, the rain in Manila is a little much. It's a little much. We're a little bit out of control with the rain here, but I've had a great time in Manila covering team USA. No matter what happens this next week, that'll be a good memory. My opportunity to see the South Sudanese do this, to see them celebrate and know what it means to their country when they are a 10 year old country, basically was amazing. And so um, I am very much looking forward to seeing them compete in Paris next year. And they ain't going to be no pushover (laughs) because they, they, they make threes. They are, they're huge. They make threes. Uh, I think they were, I think they're second uh, in total th- uh, threes per game in the tournament. And they might even be first. I mean, they may, they were right there with Lithuania coming into this game. Um, they make a lot of shots. They, they play very fast. You know, obviously Royal Ivy is, you know, he's a good coach. He knows how to coach them. Um, they draw fouls. They're, they're a team that you can root for. Okay. I've gone on too long.
1: And they've got a seven foot two kid who, who knows how much 16. better. Yeah. Who knows how much better he is at 17. I mean, who knows how much this kid might be able to to develop over the next year. Look, I talked
0: to him. He's not shaving yet. He may not be done growing.
1: (laughs) And obviously, there's a a lot of reasons. This is just a a great underdog story. You you laid all those out there really well. But it's also a huge deal just in terms of like basketball being something that, that kids can look to there as as opportunity. And this is, you know, that that's why the NBA is invested like they have with the, the Basketball Africa League and with the NBA Academy over there, because there is a ton of potential over there. And it's, you know, it's obviously in the best interest of the NBA to
2: uh, do everything within
1: their power to uh, give that
2: potential a chance to develop. Well, and also something Messiah Jerry has spent Years and years and years working on too with his Giants of Africa program across the continent. And, you know, stories like this are why we all watch sports, right? Like, this is just it. Like, I was reading Brian's story yesterday. It's just the coolest thing to read through all these guys, all the stuff their families had to go through, then to get a chance to represent their country and be in this kind of situation and get this kind of opportunity and come through the way they did. I mean, this is like a Disney movie to be. A company person for a second, like you couldn't make up a script to line up with the way this is played out, and you know Luol Deng basically funding the whole thing. Like I, I, my jaw actually dropped when I was reading your story, and you were talking about them practicing outside. Like we were talking a couple weeks ago about teams like Germany having to fly commercial to (laughs) to their their group stage games, right? And we're talking about a team that's qualified for the Olympics where they basically can't. Get access to an indoor gym to practice. Like it's it's just a it's a staggering accomplishment. And it it is just a really cool thing. And look, like you said, Team USA is a blast for us to cover because you get to be around a lot more than normal in the NBA. Everybody's relaxed. It's a summertime. Everybody's excited to be part of it and play a different role and be around different guys. But yes, you'll remember being there to cover Team USA, but We've seen USA Team USA win a lot of gold medals or go deep in tournaments. We'll see that again. Lithuania beating US to Team USA doesn't happen every day. South Sudan qualifying for the Olympics doesn't happen every day. Canada qualifying for the Olympics, obviously, at least for the last 24 years, hasn't happened. So that's the stuff that makes these tournaments cool to cover for me, is seeing stuff like that that we don't see every day and seeing how much it means to all of these guys who. Obviously, a lot of these guys are playing in the NBA or playing overseas and making a lot of money and doing a lot of stuff outside of this. But then they go play for their country and get to do really cool things. And it's 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 really neat to see.
0: All right. Well, we'll see what happens with them next year. We got a lot more to go on the um, in the World Cup. We will talk more about the NBA. I know I said we talked about the NBA. We talked about the World Cup. We're talking about the the NBA. NBA. There's
2: all sorts of NBA players in the World Cup. Yeah, also like what are we gonna talk about? Hey, is
1: James Harden gonna get traded? Is Dale
2: coming? <laughs> Thank tomorrow? God. Thank God we've had the World Cup to talk I, about.
1: Exactly.
2: Instead of that. Yeah, the time is, time My man mentioned tough. it All earlier, right. big, big game on Wednesday. Canada Slovenia.
1: Big, big, big game. game. Hey,
0: Yeah, uh, Luca uh, had uh, what NBA 23 talent. 6 and Luca had 23 6 and 6 tonight, right?
1: And they got smoked by Germany.
0: Yeah. Shooter had 24 and 10 assists, I think. So mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Should be a fun, we'll should see. be a fun quarterfinal. And huge shout out to Latvia. No Porzingis, first time in the World Cup, making the quarterfinals. They beat Germany, could very well qualify for the Olympics. Be a pretty remarkable story.
0: Look, I've embarrassed myself on the Lithuanian players' names. I studied the Latvian roster. They could play the U.S. if they're playing against Germany. I would. Ha- I'm going to have. I got a lot of work to do. I mean, and by the way, they you got might contributions. Me to do,
1: yeah, I'll oh, hey, that number 66. They, got a sixty-six. they got a fifty-five. It's a very good, uh, you know, very unique, uh, like jersey number roster. Yeah, so, yeah, that was like you know,
0: Aunt Edwards has been just. I might move to Minnesota to start covering Aunt Edwards on a daily basis. He's that uh, Nebraska. It's like
2: basically, the same thing. He can get yeah. there in about forty-five minutes.
0: Uh, Forty-seven minutes. Can't watch him on TV though. About seventy-five times. You're not. You're not kidding. He should be on more national TV. Anyway, Ant's two favorite quotes, by the way, are "dope" and "for show." Like, Just Ant, like you. Thirty-five points you, and, you and Ant,
2: two peas <laughs> in a pod.
0: Anyway, Aunt was talking about the shot that I mentioned earlier by our guy. Um, what was it? VK. <laughs> and he's like, "Shout out to twenty-two, man." That was his hey, uh, Ant, what'd you think about that? Shout out to 22. He's like, Shout shout him out. <laughs> that was, nice. I, I, I couldn't have hit. said it better. I couldn't have said it better. Shout out Lithuania and shout out Lithuanian fans who, uh, there was only maybe it was like three or 400 of them and they were terrific. I was
1: wondering how they'd travel to uh, to Manila. Obviously, that's a long, long journey. We
2: talk, we talked about it before the tournament,
1: yeah, because they, they, were, they,
2: were, they, they go, were, go everywhere.
1: There were thousands of them in, when I saw Lithuanian Cologne, and they were loud. Yeah, I guess it's a there little was, difficult to get the drums from you know uh, overseas, than it is you know if you're just going across the continent.
0: Yeah, I in Japan in 2006, which was the first time I encountered Lithuanians, there were there was a, a pretty big contingent there. They let them bring their drums then. Oh, but this was um, an arena
1: no. thing, the, the arena band. I,
0: I don't know. No, I don't. I don't know that for sure. I'm just saying. Okay. Uh, they had their drums back when I saw them. I also will say that they sang their national anthem loudly and proudly. Oh yeah. They were they I'm were sure ready they to did. go from from the moment. So you they had me, a great experience.
1: You want me to prep you for the uh, the Slovenians favorite chant? It's skace ni slove. Hey, 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 Kodor skace ni slove, hey, hey, hey. Basically translates to if you're not jumping, you're not Slovenian. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> But <laughs> they spell, hey,
2: H-E-J over there. They got I like so the T-V-E-A. Slovenian Litvia. facts Litvia. Left <laughs> <and> right.
0: The via. <laughs>
2: back to that. It's a full circle pod. We're back to the simple claps. <laughs> simple claps and simple chance.
0: All right. Not simple uh, game for the U.S. Okay. Thank you guys for... Uh, I say thank you. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. I should You should be thanking me. <laughs> we do every we, week. Thank you. For you should be thanking me.
1: We're thank <laughs> <laughs> just uh, glad to be the collective with Windhorse. Along, along for the ride.
0: That's correct. All right, everybody, travel safe. Thank you for listening. Have a good week.
1: Adios, amigos.